freaking auto! This, this is Brock and Salk. I don't read the internet, guys. Presented by Carter, Volkswagen, and Ballard. Take the bull by the hands. On Seattle Sports. Powered through the Alaska Airline Studio. And Brooke Roy, you are. And Brooke, you are. Now here are your hosts, Brock Heward and Mike Salk. I have a new friend. Doesn't happen all the time as you get older. You don't always make new friends, but I have a new friend. Congratulations. Thank you, Maura. I feel very proud of myself. Uh, my friend's name is Anand Nanduri. Goes by you sound the, confident in that. Uh, right. I put on my glasses because I, I wrote it a little too small. But uh, Anand Nanduri, and he goes under the Twitter handle Nanduri NFL. And so we haven't actually met, at least not yet, but we're friends. We've now followed each other on Twitter. So I feel like there's a bond, clearly, that's been established. And I started following him after this tweet of his uh, went viral yesterday morning. And I found myself thinking about it all day yesterday. I, I mentioned it to you briefly yesterday, but I wanted to spend a few more minutes on it today. So he he writes, quarterback situations in the NFL. One, having Patrick Mahomes. That is a unique situation unto itself. Two, Having a guy in a rookie contract that can go toe to toe with Patrick Mahomes, right? Like you saw in the Super Bowl with Patrick with uh, Jalen Hurts. Three, having a guy on an expensive deal that can go toe to toe with Patrick Mahomes. Talking about Josh Allen, Joe Burrow into the future, right, et cetera. Number four, having a rookie you drafted and are developing. Certainly, plenty of teams fit that bill. And then number five, overpaying for average. Kyler Murray comes to mind as one example, but there's about a hundred more. His last comment is get out of five fast, get out of that situation. Don't be a team that is overpaying for average. And as I said, I, I like this a lot. And I found myself thinking about it throughout the day yesterday. The problem we're in here in Seattle, because I think we can all sort of agree with his last comment. You don't want to overpay for average quarterback play. There's just no there's no upside there. The problem we have is that the Seahawks in 2022, the past year, they weren't any of those things. They didn't have Patrick Mahomes. I don't think they had a guy in a rookie contract, right, obviously. They didn't have a guy on an expensive deal. So without either of those two things and with no rookie that they were drafting and developing, what did they have? Something completely foreign to this group of, of categories. Which is makes it understandable why so many uh, pundits, et cetera, found it so hard to predict them, right? I think we know what to do with teams that have a Mahomes or a guy who can compete with them. We know what to do, or at least how to analyze a team that has a young player that they're they've drafted and are now developing. We don't know how to analyze a team that has a quarterback making almost no money but who doesn't necessarily fit into any of those categories. And the fact that he then went out and had a good year throws another monkey and wrench into this whole thing. So what, what do you do now with Geno Smith? Because it was like having a category two. It was like having a guy in a rookie contract, but the difference is you don't have any club control because he became a free agent at the end of the year. There just aren't a lot of examples of this. And I think that's why this offseason becomes intriguing and why, you know, this Geno Smith conversation, at least for me, is different from any other and why I'm not so quick to just capitulate and say, yeah, he's going to sign here in Seattle. If you pay Geno Smith what he wants to get paid, what we think he wants to get paid, 
you're either going to end up in a situation where you're in category three or category five. You're either going to have a guy on an expensive deal that can go toe to toe with Mahomes, or you're going to be overpaying for average. I don't see any middle ground, right? If you, if you are spending $40 million a year on Geno Smith, you are taking the risk that you're going to be in one of those two categories. If you're in category three, you've got a guy who can go toe-to-toe with Mahomes, so be it. Let's go. If you're in category five, you're overpaying for average, disaster. Right? you got to get out of that. You're essentially punting on Super Bowls for the next however many years and giving up the opportunity to find your next guy. <clears throat> so that's not a good plan. If I'm in the Geno Smith camp, I would turn around and say, hey, hold on a second. Remember, Pete's offense doesn't necessarily need the quarterback to carry it all by himself. They want to run the ball. They want to make life easier for a quarterback in order to enhance what that quarterback's capable of. So if you pay him, maybe you end up more likely in that number three category rather than the one you've got to get out of. All right. Fair. I agree with that. Good point. But if you're going to do that and you believe that and you believe in Pete's style, then why would you pay big money for the quarterback? If you believe that you can aid a quarterback enough by building up the rest of the roster, why are you going to pay $40 million for that privilege? All right. I'm going to take the argumentative response again. I'm playing both sides of this argument because Brock's not here. All right, fine. Mike, you paid Russell Wilson big money because he throws, right? The, the, the throws he does make have to be essentially perfect. This is the argument I made for years on Russell Wilson. Why pay him? Because you're shrinking the margin for error for your quarterback. You're only giving him 20 to 25 throws, and the five or six that need to be great need to be great, or you're toast. So it was worth paying Russell, who had that exact skill set. All right. Two problems there, though. One, I think Russ was in that category, certainly in those days, of franchise quarterbacks who could go toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes. In fact, we saw him beat Patrick Mahomes toe-to-toe. Also, did it work? (laughs) Like, we can go back and point at that and say that paying Russell Wilson that money very nearly cost them their opportunities to be great during that time. It wasn't the only reason. They didn't draft particularly well during that stretch. John Schneider didn't get totally off the hook for it, but... I think we can point at the fact that they were paying their quarterback and building around him in particular and see some of the problems that that led to. It's not the entire story. So anybody's going to say, oh, come on. And and I think I've heard a lot of folks say this on this station. They're right. Absolutely right. The drafting during the, the last few years of the Russell Wilson era, disastrous. Well, and Pete Carroll kind of admitted that year that they got off to a really hot offensive start, that they had to change because the defense couldn't handle that right. the offense was getting these big leads and having. It, it didn't fit the philosophy. They, they were off in a million different ways. I mean, so so just pinning it on one thing is impossible. Yeah. They didn't draft very well. They didn't have a great sense of philosophy and one core value that they were all pulling in the same direction. Pete and John and, and Russ were heading towards a breakup. Like all of the, they were paying a quarterback big money. So the margin of error was slower. They missed on a bunch of free agent guys. Like you name it. They, they got a lot wrong during that time. But if you let Gino go now, you're either drafting and developing a quarterback, right? Going into that, uh, hoping to get into that uh, zone four, which gets you hopefully into zone two, right? Or 
you're trying to go with elusive category number six, which I'm now making up. And that is not paying for a quarterback. That's what they did last year, right? It sounds weird. They didn't pay for a quarterback. They spent very little money on Drew Locke and and Geno Smith. They weren't really drafting and developing either of those guys because both of them were on one-year deals, and it worked out. They were good, whether it was because they struck gold with Geno or because of the pieces they were able to put around them or because this fits Pete's philosophy. Maybe they're on the cutting edge of the future. I don't know. But ultimately, I think this is a cousin to my belief that I've said for years here on this show, which is the only thing worse than not having a quarterback is having the wrong quarterback. There's nothing worse in the NFL than having the wrong guy. Well, what about the track that the Chiefs took before they got Mahomes, which could be what you could do? They they paid Alex Smith. They did pay pretty well, and and then they brought Mahomes along. I think that's something the Seahawks. You can do that. I mean, it's a long term play, and and do you want to do that with a coach of Pete Carroll's age? I don't know. That's a it's it's certainly a conversation. I don't think there's a lot of great options though over this year. If there was a stud that they could get in the draft, then that'd be one thing. If there was a stud free agent out there, that it's like we'll pay him. To me, Geno and uh, and getting a young quarterback that you can grow is one like, of your best options. I right like now. that plan as long as you're not spending too many resources on that quarterback, and that's what I'll keep coming back to. The goal for me when I look at it, and this is my sort of corollary to my new friend Anand, my corollary to his argument, his his categories is the worst thing you can do is have a quarterback. That's the wrong one that you're committed to. And there's two ways you can get to it. You can pay a court, the wrong quarterback, big money, or you can draft the wrong quarterback, super high. Both are problematic. The Cardinals managed to do both, but we'll leave them aside. They're a joke in their own, in their own way. When you pay a quarterback, big money, you're stuck with them for a few years. That's where Denver's at right now with Russell Wilson. They screwed that up and they can't get out of it. When you draft a quarterback in the top five, You're either committing to him for a few years or you're setting your franchise back by blowing a top five pick on a complete bust. So I, I, I I think that both, both paths are, are wrought with peril. You can absolutely screw this thing up by drafting a wrong quarterback high or by paying the wrong quarterback big money. Yeah. I think the answer would be if you can find a reasonable deal for Gino to pay him that and draft a quarterback in the second or third round this year. But all of that, again, comes back to can you get Geno Smith on reasonable money? And if you can't, does it make more sense to go back down the path you did last year with Drew Locke for less money, significantly less, according to Brady, who tells us it's going to be $2, 3000000 million a year, and still make sure you're drafting a quarterback so that you're in the draft and develop stage at the same time? You're in category six and four at this point. Well, Andrew Brandt told us it's less about the money with Gino. It's about knowing when you can get out. Right. Give him a three-year deal knowing you can get out in two, and you're not even really investing that. I think you're still investing, and I don't know what the right number is. I I understand what Andrew's saying. I, I think there's still a pretty significant investment in there. If you can find a way to do it so that it doesn't hurt your cap and allows you to do what some people are speculating, like go after, uh, what's his name, Javon Hargrave or somebody like that, and bring in some big talent so that you're not sitting around saying, oh, it's cool, we brought back Phil Haynes, great. But I want to see some more big talent on this team. And if you can do that while drafting a quarterback in the second round and signing Geno Smith, I'm all in. But that's going to take some serious Cap maneuvering is going to take a lot of creativity. We'll give you everything you need to know next. Brock and Salk, Sales Sports on 710.
need to know. 15 minutes past every hour with Brock and Salk. Here's what you need to know. Up first. All 75 Mariners worked out yesterday in the full squad together for the first time. Yes, the largest big league camp since Jerry and Scott first took over the program about eight years ago. And I think that's interesting because there may be fewer open spots in any other year. But when you got a team that is looking to get back to the playoffs, and of course you got the WBC this year, that starts soon. Makes sense why you'd need some additional bodies in camp as well. The talk yesterday was about two of my favorite pitchers, which I think you know makes me happy. First, Matt Brash. He threw a bullpen, and apparently, I think I saw Divish tweet this, J.P. Crawford was so befuddled afterwards, he asked what pitch had been thrown. That's the kind of stuff that Matt Brash is working with, and we saw some of that up close and personal last year, and I'm excited to see what he's added to it this year. And if he can just command it a little bit better, continue to throw strikes, I see him as a super high leverage, maybe their second or even first reliever as it uh, all comes and shakes out this year. The other guy is Luis Castillo, who met with the media for the first time. Look confident, look comfortable. I don't know. I just, every time I see him, I'm reminded of what a difference maker he is and how he's only been with the Mariners, rather, for a couple of months last year. You didn't get the full Luis Castillo experience. And by all accounts, you know, I know there had been some issues in the past with him starting slow. I think they've had some of those conversations, and I'm looking forward to seeing him come out of the gates. Not just, you know, strong, but real strong, picking up right where he left off at the end of last year. Here's the second thing you need to know. Well, the Seahawks are open for business, at least free agent-wise. They got a couple deals done yesterday, but not the big name. So they reportedly signed guard Phil Haynes to a one-year contract worth some $4 million. Another million in incentives. Likely that spells the end for veteran guard Gabe Jackson, who could save them, what, $6 million or so if he is cut. I would expect that to happen in the next couple of weeks. Two rotated last year at guard. Look, I don't mind the move. Haynes might have been better uh, than Jackson was last year. It's reasonable money. If you do sign somebody else, I suppose it's a, a good amount for sort of a swing guard or whatever. But the goal is to improve. And I want to see them not just maintain, but actually get better. And so every move, I think that's going to be part of my you know, question of, of how to judge it. Did you get better? Did they get better with this move? No, I don't think I can say that, at least not yet. They also re-up with special teams ace Nick Ballore, who brings versatility at fullback and linebacker, so I think that's probably a move that needed to get made. Here's the third thing you need to know. We are heavy in mock draft season. It is well underway. We got a doozy yesterday from Daniel Jeremiah of NFL Network and NFL.com. He's got Will Anderson Jr. slipping all the way to number five to the Seahawks. That's because he has the Cardinals falling in love with Tyree Wilson at number three. Certainly that would be a pretty fascinating scenario for the Seahawks as they would get maybe the most talented player in the draft who plays a premier position that's also a position of extreme need for them. That would be pretty ideal. We've also talked a lot about finding a quarterback later in the draft. I don't want to see one at number five. I don't think I want to see one at 20. But in the second round, yeah. And Matt Miller, who joined me yesterday, had a pretty good name. I look at what he did. at Tennessee. Talking about Hendon Hooker here. He's the last two years, and he is a fantastic deep ball thrower. He moves very well in the pocket. He's, he does not turn the ball over. He threw 58 touchdowns to five interceptions. And in a vertical tempo offense, that's not like being, you know, throwing check downs and screens. That is a tacking down the field. And, you know, he did it with, you know, his number one receiver, Cedric Tillman, goes down. Well, boop, here comes Jalen Hyatt. And then there's Drew McCoy. Like he, he spread the ball around so well. 
that I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, he might be he might be 26 years old when it happens, but I wouldn't be surprised if Hendon Hooker starts in the NFL. Well, that sounds great. Honestly, I mean, that sounds like a Pete Carroll quarterback to me. All those things, the ability to throw a deep, the ability to make sure that you don't turn the ball over, move well in the pocket, mature. Sounds like a Pete Carroll kind of guy to me. So color me intrigued. There you go. That is everything you need to know. And we do that quarter pass to every hour. Yeah, it sounds like Hendon Hooker, just based on the age and all of that, is probably a, what, an ideal third round pick, something like that. But if you got to pay second round uh, premium for the fact that he's a quarterback and that is, in my view, a position of need, um, then fine. Then so be it. I'm, I'm, I'm totally down with that. I think that's probably worth its time and worth the value of what you get, especially if you end up with your next quarterback moving forward. Great. And at the second round value, if it doesn't work out, I think you can handle that. Right. If you blow the number five pick, which was such a rare gift coming off of Russell Wilson, you can't blow the number five pick. Number 20 pick, that's your pick. Like you, you, you got a hit on your first rounders. That's been what's missing over the course of the last five years or so until last year. Okay, great. Hit on your first rounders. But if you want to take a chance with one of two second rounders, to me, that's what it's for. That's why you've got an extra second round pick is to take a flyer. And if it's on Hooker, if it's on Richardson, if there's somebody else like that that you think is unique, great. Who's that's your, absolutely where I want you to do it. I don't know enough right now to tell you. I like the fact that Richardson can run, but I like the the description of Hooker. And better. he's only twenty one. If you are right. going to have to have him sit for a while, whereas Hooker is twenty five. Yep, I, I get it. I, and coming off of an ACL. Yeah, I, I'm I'm not prepared yet to make a decision there. We're still we still have tell a couple us of now. Months. We still got a month, right, or two months rather, before the draft. <laughs> We get two months. I got to watch the combine. You know me. I'm glued to every second of the combine. I got to I got to read a lot more about these guys. You're going to have watch. a TV on the table at spring training oh, with the combine? Yes. Of course. I've got to watch hours of film, Mora. I think you know that. Now, I got to see some stuff. I'm not ready to make a, a call yet between the two, but my gut tells me that you're going to want to get one of those two guys in the second round. And whether it's Richardson's size and strength and speed or whether it's Hooker's measurables, you know, in in his ability to not turn the ball over and throw it deep. Great. One of those two things I would sure like to see here in Seattle next year. All right. Coming up. I promised this yesterday. Mora in her infinite digging found, I don't know, some cockamamie podcast that has three. The I Am Athlete podcast is pretty big. All podcasts are cockamamie. (laughs) You found some cockamamie podcast that has three ex-Seahawks all talking about Pete Carroll, and it's amazing their point of view compared to what we get now. It's next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710, salesports.com. You're listening to Brock and Salk. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. On Seattle Sports and the Seattle Sports app. All right, Michael Bumpus is going to join me here in 15 minutes. Uh, he'll help with a little Blue 88 today and Shannon Dreyer at 8 o'clock. So a uh, bunch of folks. We may even get you guys on the line. We'll see. Depending on how the next hour goes, I might have some time at 830. See if we can get you guys on the horn and uh, take some of your thoughts as well. Uh, kudos to Mora, who as always is uh, digging and scouring and looking for some content for this show, which I sig- I really do appreciate because I don't want to listen to all this stuff. So I appreciate that you do. It, it really helps the show a lot. And I don't. What is the sh- what is this called? It's the I am Legend I am podcast. Ath- I am athlete. Sorry, I keep screwing. Will that Smith's up. not involved. No. 
Will Smith's not involved with this. Okay. It's, <laughs> I think I saw recently they're Brandon making Marshall is. They're making an I Am Legend 2, I think, which is oh. why I think I think I saw that that there was some level of production All in the works. All I can ever remember that. about that movie is when his dog Yeah. when he has to kill his dog. I've never seen yeah. it oh. just for that reason. I knew that that wasn't yeah. something I was going to want to see. But can Will Smith still make movies? Are people going to go see Will Smith movies? <laughs> I think so. Really? After watching all that like I don't know. I wonder whether, and I'm not saying he's like, with an actor specifically, like whether you. I think we've forgiven actors, of course. uh, Famous people in general. Yeah, but actors, it's hard sometimes. Like Mel Gibson, like, it's hard to recover when people get that image of you. And once that's in their head, once they've heard the audio of Mel Gibson, he made movies, but he had to go make them himself. He certainly wasn't able to, you know, do what he had been doing before that. I'm kind of curious to see what the future looks like for Will Smith. Anyway. Uh, not the point. The I Am Legend, the I Am uh, Athlete <laughs> podcast, uh, which is Brandon Marshall's podcast, and Marshawn Lynch was on it, and Lendale White. So you got three ex Seahawks, sort of, right? Marshawn, obviously Seahawks legend. Well, Le- Lendale talked a lot about his time at USC with Lendale White, who had played with Pete at USC and was uh, famously cut quickly into his tenure here in Seattle for being late and kind of not taking it that seriously. And I think that's sort of viewed as a watershed moment of like, oh, Pete's actually in charge here. Totally different from his time in New England where he wasn't in charge, right? And he tried to 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 do the Pete Carroll thing, but when players got mad, they just walked up the back stairs to the GM's office and, you know, Bobby Greer at the time would be like, eh, sorry. And, and he would help the player, not Pete. Well, Lando White got cut. So that's sort of his, you know, his role in Pete Carroll lore here in in Seattle. And Brandon Marshall, while he was here, was awful. Couldn't catch. He was done near the end of his career. I think he dropped like 10 balls in a couple of games. Looks spectacular in training camp. He was terrible once the regular (laughs) season started. Honestly, he was awful. He was awful when he was here. So anyway, here they talk a little bit about Pete Carroll. I want to play you some of this sound, uh, and then we'll react to a little bit of it. Here's uh, here's Lendale White on Pete. And then we came, 2003 was me, Reggie, 16 All-Americans. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But the thing the thing we found out about my guy was that he just he's a master manipulator. He knows what to do. So he was different in college than he was in the pros? Yes, because it was a new speech to... The 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 uh, you know kids in college we ain't never heard this speech, but three years later it's the same. <laughs> you like, bro? What are you? You just said that shit last year. What are you talking about? At least like give me something different to where I can buy in. So so you get some of that you know, and and you can take it with the bitterness that might come from having Pete Carroll essentially end his NFL career. Uh, he was upset that Pete didn't call him. Kind of gave the Bobby Wagner. Ah, uh, he should have called me. He owed me a call. He had recruited me when I was seventeen. He knew my family, etc. Uh, so there's there's Lendale White's point of view. Marshawn gives uh, a little bit of the same message here. I don't need all of this. What you giving to these? these young guys to get them ready you know how i'm cut you know how i'm wired i ain't got to say on sunday you know what you're gonna get out of me and then i'm gonna do what i need to do to get to next sunday now let's be cool with that but that's what what i was saying it's the same it was so repetitive i know it was the same it was like no turnover tuesday (laughs) something wednesday Uh, 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 something uh, thursday uh, uh, but it's like that's what i'm saying but after four or five years of this you got vets that's be looking like bro i need something else it's interesting that all the things that Pete believes to his core do tend to rub some of these guys the wrong way. Now, again, some of the guys that we're talking about left on on negative terms, right? Pete ended their careers in some way. 
And I would argue that in all three cases, it was pretty well justified. Brandon Marshall was toast. Lendale White was toast. And Marshawn Lynch never really was all that great after he left here. So, I, you know, you, you can make some of those arguments that that uh, that they that there's a point they, that they have. But also you got to take it with a bit of a, you know, understanding the point of view. That there's a little bit of but bitterness here. But it isn't here. the first time we're hearing that maybe that messaging gets old to veteran players. Quite frankly, it was the knock on Pete when he showed up that this wasn't going to work with adults, that it worked great with college kids, but it wasn't going to work well with adults. Here we are now, what is it, 12 years later or whatever, since Pete Carroll first showed up in 2010, right? We're, we're coming up on 13 years. I think that what I've learned about Pete during that time, and this sound is part of it, is that we were wrong, but we weren't far off. When, when Pete first arrived, I somewhat uh, infamously, at least here in the show, was not a fan. I had been in New England when Pete was there. I, was, I had read Bill Simmons since before he even had an ESPN column and was called the Boston sports guy. And Pete had or, and Simmons rather had always compared Pete to Fredo from The Godfather. In his view, you had Belichick, who was Michael Corleone. And you had uh, you had um, Parcells, who was Fre- who was uh, Sonny, and then you had Pete, who was poor Fredo, and he crushed him, and it won't work. and And I was of that same belief. It's not going to work. It only works with college kids. Men see through it. Okay, I was wrong. A hundred percent, I was wrong. Men. Boy, it doesn't matter. People seem to buy into Pete Carroll's philosophy, and he brought them to a Super Bowl and then another Super Bowl and had unparalleled success here in the Seattle market by sticking to being who exactly he was. And he changed the NFL in the process where music is now all throughout the league, right? All of the, the, the players, coaches, the Barcells of the world are gone. Those guys don't exist anymore. Everyone's in the Pete Carroll mold. We were wrong. His philosophy works just as well with grown men in the NFL as it does with kids in college. And I told that to Pete and and like, I have no issues with being wrong. I was dead wrong. What I think we might be learning or, or have learned over the course of these last 12 years is that the problem is not men versus kids. The problem is how long you're here. And maybe that's true with all coaches. Maybe if Marshawn or Lendell White or anybody else had spent five, six, seven years playing for Andy Reid or for Bill Parcells or for Bill Belichick or whomever, they would have the exact same thing to say. And instead of saying turnover Tuesday and, you know, what about Wednesday or whatever, they, they, they would have some other thing to complain about. Maybe it's just hard to have one manager for that long because eventually everything they do starts to drive you crazy, especially in the NFL where you age out of it, where you're where you're you're losing your ability every like one small bit at a time all the while you're feeling your oats more and more as you're getting older and older and want to go do something new and 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 you don't want to have to work the way you did 5 6 7 years ago when in fact you might need to work harder so i understand this could happen to any coach but i do think that there is something to Pete's optimism and his his consistency that might wear on guys over time well, and i was going to touch on how i think specifically to the L.O.B. era group, you know, K- K.J. 
has always said that he really admires Pete as a coach mm-hmm. and he liked a lot of what he did. But he also admitted to us that there was broken trust after that Super Bowl loss. And so I think in particular, yes. when you feel like there's this open wound that's festering and Pete's do, doing his positive, cheerful, like amped hey, up great. stuff. Yep. It, oh, and, and Russ is always going to be Mr. Robot. I think they felt like it was avoidance. Well, I, th- I think you're right about all of those things. It's also interesting that current players don't generally seem to have that view, right? Here's Tariq Woolen. Uh, he's on the, what is this? The Two Up, Two Down podcast. Uh, that's another one of my personal favorites. Here's Tariq Woolen, <laughs> and you hear a very different point of view from a guy just finishing up his first year. Dude, that dude, I love him, man. Yeah, man, He's the best person really ever been around. Bro. Yeah, just, he's a player's coach. 100%. That's awesome. And just he's so like in depth with football he's so in tune you know what i mean like the dude's been around the game so long and he's just like he just i don't know bro the way he even runs our team meetings like he don't run it like a head coach he run it like a game show host you know he comes <laughs> in there with the little thing he look at it real quick he put it down five minutes go by look at it again boom and then he'd be like all right Today, uh, we need to know what's going on in the world. Here's what's <laughs> up with the uh, Golden State Warriors. Boom. He walk out the way and thing pops up on the screen. Highlights of the Go Golden State Warriors. Warriors. Come on. That's crazy. Boom. Lights come on. Screen comes off. He comes back. He's like, today is competition Wednesday. Like, it's going to be like two coaches or like two players. And then all of a sudden, everybody's like, shoot off. Like, shoot off, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then like, boom, we got to shoot off. Like, G1B1 shoot off. Yeah. So, I mean, you hear it's a very different view in 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 the beginning. And I'm sure if you had talked to Marshawn or if you had talked to, you know, a lot of those guys at the beginning, they might have said the same thing. Ultimately, here's what it comes down to. And this sort of proves your point more about what about how that moment in the Super Bowl changes things. And Marshawn uh, tells a little story that I don't think I had heard before about that. First time that we had conversation was me, him, the GM, the owner and my uh, and my agent. And then the owner's right-hand man, recipes for all of mine. But the conversation, you feel me, though, it, it wasn't between me and him. It was a group thing. And it was more so, like, where they felt, you feel me, though, I would be of some assistance. And getting that back was that they wanted me to holler at, you know, you feel me, a certain amount of individuals, the core guys. And I'm like, well, the only thing they want is they want this to be sincere with an apology to them. And if that don't happen, then you're going to have some problems. So if I understand Marshawn correctly there, what he's saying is Paul Allen, Pete, John Schneider, et cetera, got together with him and asked him to be a leader, asked him to move past what had happened at the goal line since he is sort of in the middle of all of it and try to get the group back on board. And he said, all we want is a sincere apology for what? From Pete, like I, I don't know if as a what, coach, you can, be, you can be in that position where you for what? <laughs> For what? For playing the percentages correctly? Get out of here. This is the... I'm so sick of this. It is the dumbest thing in the world. For what? They need to apologize. Do you need to apologize for not scoring on first down when they handed you the ball? Break the freaking tackle, tough guy. I know Marshawn's untouchable. This is ridiculous. This is the dumbest piece of sound I've ever heard. Well, you to be fair, he's not apology? saying that's what he wanted. He said he felt like that's what that group they were asking him to get back. Apology wanted. from the head coach for not running the ball in a passing situation? Get out of here. That's the dumbest thing I think I've ever heard. 
You demand an apology or else you're going to be a whiny baby about it for doing the right thing? Why aren't you you mad at Marshawn for not scoring? Get out of here. I can't believe it. Look, it obviously didn't work. And personally, I think Daryl Bevel called the wrong play. And they didn't use Marshawn as even a decoy. We can go into this forever. You want an apology? You think you deserve an apology over that? I got to tell you, I couldn't agree less with that point of view. And I don't want to sit here and it's been almost 10 years, rehash what happened in that moment. But you're wrong. And if that's truly how you felt, that's truly what, what, what you, Unless you were being Unless someone texted him taking it as that they wanted an apology from Russ. You were being, well, that's different. Unless that's who he's referring to. R- Russ is supposed to apologize for Pete. throwing a pick? That doesn't make any sense either. Look, I, I, I assumed it. He, it was Pete. That none of that makes sense. You can't move forward without an apology for somebody doing their job. Do you do you get asked to apologize after every time you're tackled, after every bad decision you make on the field? That's ridiculous. I can't like. You know what? I said I wasn't going to get mad today. That I was <laughs> overtired, and that like sometimes when I'm overtired, these things tend to get under my skin more than they should. Be nice to bump. I'm happy to be nice to bump, but that is truly one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard. This is Brock and Sox Blue 88. Blue 88! Blue 88! We take you to the field as Brock Ewart breaks down three football questions as only he can. Now here's your hosts, Brock Ewart and Mike Song. Michael Bumpus from the Bump and Stacy show every morning here at 10 o'clock. Joining me today for a little Blue 88. What's up, Bump? Good morning. Good morning. Coming in hot, huh? I hear you. I hate this argument. I I just, the idea that Pete Carroll, (laughs) look, if you want to argue they should have run the ball instead of passing it, fine. I disagree. I think a passing play was the right move on second down. But he's supposed to apologize or else everybody's going to, like, not play hard moving forward. Doesn't make any sense. No, I think there's, there's a couple things that happen when things go wrong in a game with a football team and a sequence. You usually have your leader step up and say, hey, guys, that was on me. Or your coach say that. We saw Gannon say that for the Super Bowl. He goes, look, I didn't I didn't call him a good enough game in the second half. I think that's what they were expecting, but it doesn't mean that it's warranted that you should get that. That's just what they were expecting. I'm not a professional. You got to move on, man. Keep playing football. That's, uh, that's all new. Totally agree with that. All right, question number one for you, Bump. Uh, Seahawks re-signed Phil Haynes yesterday. Why Phil Haynes, and will this help them be better in 2023? Well, you got Phil Haynes because he fills in a line for Gabe Jackson last year. Gabe Lee was all banged up. I think Phil only missed a couple of games because of an ankle injury. He's really just a blue guy, a pink guy. I don't think he's going to be a guy... That's going to be out there every single down. I really think they're going to go in and address the interior line. I think you have to at the center spot in the guard. I think Damian's going to be good to go at that other guard spot. But Phil Haynes is a guy who's going to compete with whoever they bring in. And if that guy isn't getting it done, he's been in the system for four years out of Wake Forest. He knows what they want. So I don't think he'll be – he's a guy that they're anticipating being a starter. But if he goes out he has a good camp, good OTAs and all that good stuff, he's going to compete. But he's a just-in-case guy. Just mm. in case the guy we bring in doesn't work out, we got to have somebody on feet. Good. I like it. Question number two. Would you like to see the Seahawks take a quarterback in this year's draft? And if so, in what round? 
This is such a complicated answer for me. I go back and forth every week. I change my mind. I'm looking at scenarios. And I think it all depends on what you do with Geno determines how high you draft the quarterback. I think you probably need to bring somebody in. I would like to see them in the later rounds, the third rounds or after that. I think with your first, what, two to three picks, you got to address this defense. Uh, but Geno's getting old. Geno's not going to be the uh, – the, the five, six-year guy at this quarterback spot. He's a guy to fill a void and keep these guys competitive over the years. So you need somebody to come in. Uh, I'm looking at the Chiefs, right? I know the Chiefs on a different level. But what they do, they brought Scott Mahomes in for a year or two to watch and learn from Alex Smith. I think you're going to have to bring that guy in. Now, if you think you already have the guy in Drew Locke, you want to sign him and go that route, all right, then I get it. But I really think it's time to go out and get a young guy. But I don't want to see it early, especially those first two picks. They got to go heavy defense and maybe even that third pick at, what, 37. I think there are um, other holes in this team that needs to be filled. But eventually you do get a quarterback, see if you can uh, strike gold and let's take it in with Russell. Mm. All right, question number three. One of the names that's come up in the draft a few times, a couple different uh, mock drafts recently, is Jackson Smith and Jigba, wide receiver out of uh, Ohio State, who I happen to like a lot. But how important is a third wide receiver? to the future of this offense? You know, that's a, a hot topic. People are always wondering and suggesting, are the Seahawks going to get a number three receiver? Who's it going to be? So I go and I look across the league. I look at like the top five or six passing offenses in the league, and I go, okay, do they have a number three receiver? Most of these teams have two receivers and then a tight end who's contributing out the, with the pass game or a running back who's contributing with the pass game. Like, what do you really expect from a number three receiver in this offense? About 400 yards, 500 yards? Because you know you're going to have two guys going to get the bulk of the targets. We're going to be around 1,000 yards. What did uh, Marquise get you last year? About 400 yards. What did Noah Fang get you last year? About 400 yards. It's more about the threat of that number three receiver. But I look at this offense and how they use their receivers, their tight ends. I say that number three receiver might already be on this roster. I'm looking at that tight end room. Mm. It's important to have a young guy develop behind DK and Lockett, and then you insert him, and maybe he gets your three, your 400 yards. But I don't look at that position and say, you need to draft a guy at number 20. You know, I'm a receiver, man. I mean, should I go to Safeway and find me a good-looking receiver? Man, they're all about, what, six foot to six three. Like, we're a dime a dozen. You can, there's a position you can find guys late, just like running backs. It's receivers. So I look at that number three receiver spot, and I go, yeah, you probably could use the guy there, but the way that Shane Walden calls plays, I think you have him. You can get a young receiver, but I don't think you get him at number 20. Good stuff. Bump, appreciate it. Thank you, as always. We'll see you when you get in. And, uh, of course, Bump and Stacy every day at 10 o'clock here on the station. Thanks, Bump. Thanks, Bump. All right, man, take care. All right, there you go. Look, I, I, I see all the uh, texts coming in. Salk, it's called accountability. Chill out. No. You got to apologize for things that you did wrong. Totally. That is accountability. And if and and if Marshawn was sitting here telling you that you needed accountability from your offensive coordinator in that spot, I think maybe I'd buy it. But this idea that they were supposed to run the ball there is set up by Chris Collinsworth and it's wrong. It's just wrong. There's 26 seconds left at that point. It's second down. Okay? You have one timeout. If you run the ball and Marshawn doesn't get in, which, you know, isn't exactly impossible given the fact that he didn't get in on the previous play. If you run the ball and he's stopped, you're screwed. Now you got to call timeout 
It's third down. Now you have to pass. Everybody knows you have to pass. And if it doesn't work, you're setting up fourth down to try to win this game. One play and who the heck knows. You don't want to put yourself in that position. Instead, you want, in my view, play action, since everybody thinks the ball's going to Marshawn, and do something else, right? That way, if you throw it away, if there's nothing there, you can still run the ball if you want on third down or fourth down. You're setting yourself up in much better way. Now, wrong play call because you can't throw the ball over the middle to Ricardo Lockett in that spot and ask Jermaine Curse to 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 block Brandon Browner, which by the way, did they want to did they need an apology from Curse? How come Curse didn't block Browner? Where's my apology? Wait, you were supposed to do this and uh, or you were supposed to get in the way and that was supposed to make sure that Butler didn't get there. Well, you didn't do it. Browner took you out. So is anyone mad at him? Is anyone mad at Ricardo Lockett? Does everybody need to apologize? I, mean, I have the sound. KJ told us himself that the decision to throw the ball there felt like a breach of trust yeah. to them. He said it felt They're like wrong. that They're wasn't what wrong. they their Every normal style. One was. of them is wrong. They're wrong. <laughs> it, just based on the number of timeouts. I see the text. Oh, you need to run it every time. You can't run it every time. You're at you have one timeout. You can't run it every time. It's ridiculous. Now, whatever. It's eight years old. I'm not going to continue to argue about it. <laughs> but these guys telling you that 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 they deserved an apology from Pete Carroll. Sorry, I got distracted. That wasn't even supposed to be the point of the segment. The point to me was supposed well, I don't know to be. If they about, said deserved. They went to Marshawn and said, "Hey, can you help us fix this?" And he said, "This is what I think guys want." I don't know if I heard it that way. What I heard is, hey, I'm happy to help as long as Pete apologizes. He said, this is what they want. It's all ridiculous. All of them. Every <laughs> one of them. It is It is the most bizarre reaction <laughs> to what ha- I just, I have, I'll never understand it. And I think every one of them is wrong. And if they felt like they needed an apology from their head coach for it, then, <laughs> then they're wrong too. They're wrong in like five different ways. Whatever. Shannon Dreyer is going to join us next. Mariners super excited. Everybody seemed like it was a, a great day down there yesterday as everybody got together. We'll discuss next. Brock and Salk, Seattle Sports on 710.